Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. I'd like to read that, and then we'll pray together, and we'll look at the Word of God together. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in, and, uh, in his teachings said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, please guide us as we seek to understand the meaning of your teaching, the meaning especially of this parable before us this morning, and to understand your use of parables in teaching your disciples uh, and teaching the people. Lord, thank you for your word. We just love it. We love being able to read it. We love being able to study it. We love that it has such an impact upon our lives. You have told us in your word that it's the content of our doctrine, the content of our teaching, that it has the power and ability to redirect our lives when we're on the wrong path. It has the power and ability to redirect our thinking when it is wrong. And it can train us to serve you righteous with righteous lives. Lord, open our hearts to hear it this morning, as Jesus has said to his disciples in this passage. And Father, as always, we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary, where he took our sins 
in his, upon his innocent body. He took our punishment. He took and bore our shame so that death and sin might be put away. Now, Father, you open the door to heaven. You open the door to being a part of your family. You open the door to eternal life through your son, Jesus, and ask only that we put our trust in him, not in ourselves, not in religious ritual, but in Jesus alone. Guide us in the study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Even as the crowds were growing, so was the opposition by the religious leaders. And that is crucial to understanding what Jesus is teaching here, particularly with the par- what we call the parable of the soils here in Matthew chapter 4. Even as the crowds were growing and they were seeking him so much so that when he was on the seashore, he had to get into a boat to get out into the water because people were pressing in upon him. And even as the crowds were growing, so was the opposition by religious leaders. In fact, to understand this passage, you have to understand that truth is the opposition of the religious leaders. The context of this parable is the rejection by the religious leaders in chapter 3. In chapter 3 and verse 6, just to remind you that in chapter 3 and verse 6, we read, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The, the, uh, and again, we see that in other places in chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse 22. This rejection of Jesus Christ, this animosity toward Jesus Christ, this rejection of the message of the gospel is growing and growing and growing even as Jesus' popularity is growing. So what we have here in chapter 4 is the various responses to his ministry in light of his rejection. Now, the first people, of course, this was important for was his disciples. They were having trouble understanding how could Jesus be so popular? How could the people be running to him and the religious leaders rejecting him? Why is the message being rejected so widely? And you might have a similar question today. The question still remains, God loved us. God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on Calvary's cross for us. And yet, why do so many people reject that message? People you talk to, I know many of you witness, you witness to the people around you. Did you ever wonder why do so many reject? Why do so many reject such a message? Or why do so, so many people that you talk to deflect by saying something crazy? That makes no sense. Like, I believe in Vikings. I won't tell you the rest of that story. But why do people reject the gospel? Why is there so much rejection? So part of, part of what Jesus is trying to do is to encourage his disciples. And I think that as he encourages his disciples, he is encouraging us. He is encouraging us not to stop sharing the word even though rejection is so big and so broad and so many people don't want to hear it. We need to keep sharing the word because there's a group of people 
that will respond. There's a group of people that will respond. So don't stop. And I think that's the point of this passage. This passage answers the question, why are there so many who are not only not interested in faith, but they're openly antagonistic to it? Let me say that again. This passage answers the question, why are there so many who are not only not interested in faith, but they are openly antagonistic toward it? The people that you and I witness to are of one of four soils. That we're going to see that as we go through chapter 4, verses 1 to 20 this morning. There's the hard soil, there's the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil, and there is the good soil. There is the good soil. In the four soils, the first is the soil found in the path. And as, a, as you might imagine, a path that is trodden often, the ground compacts and it gets hard. And that's the first soil. That is the first kind of soil that Jesus talks about that the seed of the word of God is sown into. We're going to see in this passage that Satan snatches that seed and takes it away. He takes away the seed that was sown. The second kind of soil that you and I encounter as we share our faith. And that's what I want you to, to get here. I want you to see that. These are people you're going to encounter as you seek to share your faith. The first is those who are hard. Those who are hard. And we'll say more about that. The second is the seed that falls on rocky places. Those are the ones that when adversity and affliction and persecution come because they're shallow and have no root, they wither quickly. Because they're shallow and they have no root, they wither quickly. There is no return. The third kind of person that you and I will be sharing our faith with are the thorny soil. The thorns in the thorny soil choke out the seed. They choke out the seed of the Word of God. The things that choke the Word of God in a person's life are worry and wealth and cares. They crowd out the seed of the Word of God. The fourth kind of soil is the good soil. And here's the soil that produces a crop. Here is the soil that hears the word of God. Here is the soil that when you speak to them, they accept Christ as, they say, as their Savior. They accept the word of God. So it's important for us to understand Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples. Jesus is trying to let them know that no matter how great the opposition, no matter how great the rejection, no matter how many people reject them, there are those who will respond. And that seed will produce a crop 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Well, you could look at it in another way. You could look at it as a good, bad news, good news situation. The bad news is that there are three negative responses to the word of God. There is the response of indifference by the hard-hearted. There is the response of hasty and enthusiastic but shallow uh, acceptance that has no root and, and the plant dries up. There is the preoccupied response to the word of God, where the cares and the riches of this life 
choke out the word in a person's life, making it unfruitful to the hearer. But there is the fourth soil, and that is the good news. While there's bad news, there's also good news. And the good news is there's a fourth kind of soil, and that is those, as one writer said, those who hear the word, they accept it, and they bear spiritual fruit. They are genuine disciples. Another has described the responses in this way. There are four responses. No response, emotional response, worldly response, and fruitful response. Well, there's a couple of things. Again, by way of background here as we get into the text itself. Uh, number one, what are parables and why did Jesus use those? We'll get to that in a few minutes and we'll look at that. Why did Jesus use parables in his teaching? The second is that the question is, what is this parable speaking to? Now, I have been making the case already and I'm going to try to continue to make the case that this parable has to do with salvation. It has to do with salvation it has to do with explaining to us why it is that so many reject such a beautiful message, why so many reject such a beautiful Savior, and it's to help us to understand that there are these soils that just will not respond to the seed of the Word of God. But there are some who will. It's a parable about salvation. Unfortunately, many have interpreted it wrongly and made it a parable about spiritual growth. Now, I have to say that's very enticing to do because you can look at these four soils. You can look at the, the, the hardened soil of the path. You can look at the, the uh, rocky soil. You can look at the thorny soil. And you can say, well, I, I can see all those in my own life. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and they keep me being, from being fruitful in the word. Well, while that may be a good application of this passage, it's a terrible interpretation. While it may be a good interpretation of this passage, I mean a good uh, application of this passage, let me say it again. I don't want to confuse you nor myself. Uh, while it may be a good application of this passage, it's not the correct and it's not a right interpretation of this passage. This passage has to do with salvation, not spiritual growth salvation, not spiritual growth. And we'll see that as we go th through here. Uh, the third thing is that we're going to see as we go through here is the passage is talking about the fruitfulness of the Word of God. Uh, it's not talking about the fruitfulness of the people. That's an important distinction. What we're seeing here in this parable is how the Word of God is fruitful or not fruitful in a person's life. It's not whether the person is fruitful or not. It's about whether the seed is fruitful in that life. So the passage is talking about the fruitfulness of the seed. That is the word of God. Uh, we see that in chapter 4 and verse 8, chapter 4 and verse 19, where the it referred to, for instance, in, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 8, where we read, still other seed fell on good soil, it came up. You notice it's the seed that came up. It's the seed. So we're not talking about the fruitfulness of people here. We're talking about the fruitfulness of the seed. 
Parables reveal truth in a way that requires faith to accept and understand, one writer said. Parables reveal truth in a way that requires faith to accept and to understand. Only those who truly accept the word will produce fruit. That is, only those who respond in faith will produce fruit. Now, interestingly, Jesus emphasizes for his disciples the, necess the necessity to think. Chapter 4, for instance, of Mark in verse 9. We read this, Then Jesus said, He who has, has ears to hear, let him hear. Literally in Greek, the idea is, He who has ears to hear, he had better listen. This parable begins and ends with the words, Listen. Twice Jesus tells his disciples to listen to him, to really attend to him. One writer said it this way, think this one out for yourself if you can. Think this one out for yourself if you can. A good application of this passage for us is to, as one writer said, think deeply about what Jesus says. How little time so many of us spend just thinking deeply about what Jesus says. We, we basically rely on other people to tell us what he says. We rely on other people to tell us what he does rather than taking time to deeply think about what Jesus said. There is an a account told of a biologist who once experimented with what he called processional caterpillars. Processional caterpillars. He lined up caterpillars on the rim of a pot that held the plant so that the lead caterpillar was head to tail with the last caterpillar with no break in the parade. The tiny creatures walked around the rim of the pot for a full week before they died of exhaustion and starvation. Not once did any of the caterpillars break out of the line and venture over to the plant to eat. Food was only inches away, but the follow-the-leader instinct was even stronger than the drive to eat and survive. What an interesting experiment. What an interesting experiment. The food was inches away, but the follow-the-leader instinct was even stronger than the drive to survive, to eat and survive. Think about that. Um, so often, we are like those caterpillars, just just going around the rim, going round and round and round, following what people tell us to do, following what others tell us, instead of thinking deeply for ourselves, instead of thinking for ourselves uh, about the important things of life, instead of thinking for ourselves the Scripture and thinking about Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, it's good that we have teachers. It's good that we have an opportunity to be in small groups. It's good that we have an opportunity to be together and to hear the Word of God taught, but that's only a part of the, what we should be doing. We should be taking time to think deeply, as the writer said, about the Word of God. The other thing we're going to see as we go through here is that spiritual truth require, requires spiritual hearing. Spiritual truth requires spiritual healing. 
And we will get to that in just a little bit, I really hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, in case we don't have much time to talk about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 expresses that principle that spiritual truth requires spiritual healing. Well, the setting of the parable, again, Jesus, this is verse 1, began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the, out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Then we're told that he taught them many things by parables. He taught them many things by parables. Now, uh, last week, Chris mentioned parables uh, because they were in the previous section of Scripture where uh, we are told that Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. We're going to see that Jesus more and more and more speaks in this form called parables. So it would be necessary, if Jesus used the parable form so much, it would be necessary for us to understand what is a parable and what is it meant to do. The word parable is, uh, is a compound word joining para, which is a preposition, and balo, which is to cast a verb. The idea is to cast alongside, to cast alongside. Uh, the parable is the illustration of truth in the spiritual realm by a story in the earthly or natural realm. It makes a comparison between a known truth and an unknown truth. More than an illustration, one writer said, it captured the attention of the people and forced them to think. Now there's our thinking again. Jesus is desirous of us listening to him, really listening to him, and thinking about these truths. And so the, the parable captured the attention of the people and forced them to think, gets them deeply involved and compels the listener to make a decision about God's truth. It was meant to surprise and stir the conscience. A parable is a story, and the parable form in the scripture is a story taken out of ordinary life used to drive home a spiritual truth. Now, parables could come in other forms. They weren't always stories, as one of the writers pointed out. There are sometimes brief similes, sometimes comparisons, sometimes analogies, sometimes proverbial sayings. Uh, parables aren't unique to the New Testament. There are parables sprinkled throughout the Old Testament in fact, probably one of the most famous parables is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 7, uh, where Nathan comes to Daniel. Do you remember that passage of Scripture? David has sinned with Bathsheba, and God confronts him through Nathan about his sin. And Nathan uses a parable of a rich man and a little lamb uh, a poor man and his little lamb and how a rich man misuses him. Nathan uses that parable to reach David. So parables are not only in the New Testament, they're also in the Old Testament. Now, you say, why does Jesus teach in this way? Why does he use this parabolic method 
to teach the Word of God. Uh, there are four reasons uh, William Barclay set forth. The first reason is this. It would make people sit up and take notice. It would make them listen. It would make them listen. It would grab their attention. Uh, because after all, they were common stories. Uh, they, they were not religious stories for the most part, and they were common stories, and the stories were, were generic in the sense that Jesus would say a farmer went and sowed seed, uh, and so on and so forth. So it would make people sit up and take notice, make them listen, grab their attention, because you had to think it through. You had to think it through. You had to think, what is the Lord trying to say in his parable? The second reason that Jesus used parables is they were a familiar form to the Jews since they were in the Old Testament. The third reason that Jesus used parables is that he was taking the abstract and making it concrete. He was taking the abstract, abstract thoughts, and making it concrete. The fourth reason he used parables, it would compel, and here we go again, it would compel people to do what? Think for themselves. It would compel people to think for themselves. Uh, if there's one thing I think that we would love to do here at Del Rio Bible Church is not just tell people what to think, but to teach them to think for themselves. To teach them and not just, not just have to um, uh, be like those caterpillars on the rim of the plant who went round and round and round just following somebody else rather than thinking and acting for themselves. Well, another writer said about parables, a parable begins innocently as a picture that arrests our attention and arouses our interest. But as you study the picture, it becomes a mirror in which we suddenly see ourselves. If we continue to look by faith, the mirror becomes a window through which we see God and his truth. How we respond to the truth will, be de will determine what further truth God will teach us. That's an important point. How we respond to the truth, how we respond to the word of God, how we respond will determine what further truth God will teach us. One of my favorite writers, as those of you who are regular attenders here know, is Eugene Peterson. And he has a great section in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, in which he talks about parables and how Jesus used parables. Let me share that with you. Jesus' favorite speech form, the parable, was subver subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soils and seeds, meals and coins and sheep, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants, and they are wholly secular. Of his 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church, and only a couple mention the name God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God, so there was nothing in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, wondering what they meant. The stories lodged in their imaginations, and then, like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected heart, an abyss opened at their very feet. He was talking about God, and they had been invaded. I love that description of a parable. 
Jesus continually threw odd stories down alongside ordinary lives and walked away without explanation or altar call. Then listeners started seeing connections, God connections, life connections, eternity connections. The very lack of obviousness, the unlikeliness was the stimulus to perceiving likeness, God-likeness, life-likeness, eternity-likeness. But the parable didn't do the work. It put the, leaders, it put the listener's imagination to work. It put the listener's imagination to work. Jesus was using parables to make people think. And when they responded by faith, they were given more light. When they responded by rejecting faith, by rejecting the word, they were hardened. They were hardened, and they were hardening themselves as they went. Well, We've read the parable already. Jesus begins and ends it with the word listen. Verse 3, he says, listen. A farmer went out to sow seed. He concludes the parable in verse 9 with, he who has, has ears to hear, he had better listen. He had better listen. The farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came uh, and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that was the parable. Uh, the sower, the uh, farmer in that day would broadcast his seed and then he would plow uh, the, the soil to put the seed under. A yield of 10 to 1 was considered a good yield. A yield of 7.5 to 1 was an average yield. But here Jesus is talking about a yield for those who respond by faith to the word of God, which is the seed. He's talking about a yield, a yield that's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The more than abundant harvest in this parable suggests God's activity. It suggests God's activity. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Spir spiritual people, that is those with, with uh, faith, can discern the intended spiritual meaning of a parable. Those, and that's important to understand, spiritual people, that is those with faith, can discern the intended spiritual meaning. The unspiritual, that is those without faith, would understand no more than the surface meaning. So if a person who had not faith and would not respond by faith hears a parable, they just see an ordinary story about a farmer and about seed and him broadcasting seed. But those who listen with spiritual ears can discern the intended spiritual meaning. Well, that led to the disciples asking a question. 
And this did not happen immediately. It happened sometime later in verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him, these are believers, asked him about the parables. He told them the, he told them, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. That's a quotation of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 2. When Jesus talks here about the secrets of the kingdom, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. The word secret is the word mystery, or in Greek it's mysterion. And what it means is something that was not previously disclosed. That is something that was not disclosed in the Old Testament, but that which is currently being disclosed, now being revealed. So a secret is not some sort of secret you whisper in somebody's ear. It's a mystery, uh, 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 something that was not previously disclosed, but is now revealed. It relates to God's plan and His purpose, worked out phase by, phase by phase in human history and in the church. The mystery that Jesus is talking about in this particular parable is that in Jesus, God's kingdom has come, God's rule has come in human experience in a new spiritual form. You see, there was going to be an interim between the first and second coming that the Jews did not understand. They did not understand that, and it wasn't disclosed until now. And so Jesus was teaching them about this time between his first and his second coming. There's a spiritual principle here, and I want us to look at it. If you can turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. And it's an important principle for us to understand, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. I'll read starting at verse 12 so we get the context. But God has revealed it to, to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. In other words, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. I have the Holy Spirit living within me, and the Holy Spirit can reveal to us the, the truths of the Word of God. And that's what it's talking about. The Holy Spirit within us speaks the things of God to us. Well, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to, them, to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Here is a spiritual principle that we need to understand. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Those who do not have the Spirit of God, those who have rejected God's truth, those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, do not have the Spirit within, so they don't have spiritual discernment. 
That's why what seems to so simple to you and me as believers in Christ is so difficult for an unbeliever because they don't have the spiritual ears to hear. And that's the point behind Jesus using parables. Those who were spiritual, those who were, had faith, those who were living by faith, they had understanding, whereas those who are rejecting the truths of Jesus Christ, the truths of him as Savior, they are being blocked by themselves from understanding the truth. Spiritual things. Here's the principle that I hope you'll remember. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. That's the reason for the quotation in Mark and in the parallel passages of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Spiritual blindness and deafness come to people who reject God in his judgment upon them. There are illustrations of that we don't have time to get into this morning. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 34 to 43. In chapter 12 and verse 37 of John, we read that the people would not believe. And then in verse 39 of that same chapter, we read that they could not believe it. Believe. They would not believe, then they could not believe. That's a warning. That's a warning to unbelievers not to reject and reject and reject because the more they reject, the harder they become against the gospel. The more they reject, the harder they become against the gospel. Well, Jesus explains the parable in verses 13 to 20. And um, the seed, we're told, is the word of God. Luke 8, 11, the parallel passage tells us that. Matthew in, verse 9, in chapter 13 and verse 19 calls it the word of the kingdom. The seed is the word of God. The sower is Jesus and all who proclaim the word of God. Servants of God who share the word with others. That includes not only the people on the pages of the book of Mark, but it includes you and me. So this, the seed is the word of God. The first soil the first group of people are the hard-hearted. They are represented in our passage by Pharisees and religious leaders. Satan is the enemy because we are in a spiritual battle. And Satan is the one that takes that seed away that is sown on the hard soil. The battle is spiritual. The second soil is the, or the second group is the shallow soil. These are the ones who briefly accept, but they don't stick with the truth of the mystery, ministry. They haven't, uh, with the truth of the message, they haven't made a true profession of faith. They haven't made a true profession of faith. They followed for the miracles. They followed for the healings. They followed for the feedings. But they didn't have true faith. And so they fall away when persecution comes. The third soil is that of the preoccupied group. They are distracted from the word of God. They are distracted from the truths of God by materialism. The fourth soil is that of the receptive group. The one who hears the word of God 
understands the word of God and commits to the word of God. One writer said Jesus' audience, audiences were not denied the opportunity to believe in him, but after they persistently closed their mind to his message, they were excluded from further understanding of it. His use of parables, yet even the parables which veiled the truth, were meant to provoke thought and enlighten and ultimately to reveal. Another said that parables preserve freedom, yet God's activity ensures that some will produce fruit. Well, let me close with this this morning. William Barclay said, It may seem that much of our effort achieves no result. It may seem that much of our labor is wasted. That is how the disciples were feeling when they saw Jesus banished from the synagogue and regarded with suspicion. In many places, his message seems to have failed and they were discouraged and downhearted. But this parable said to them and says to us, patience, do your work, sow the seed, leave the rest to God. The harvest is sure. That's my challenge to each of us this morning let's pray lord thank you for your word thank you for uh, the even the difficult to understand parts of your word that cause us to think and strengthen our faith father if there are those among us this morning who have yet to respond to the seed to respond to the word of God in a positive way, I pray that they would consider the truths of your word. For those of us who know Christ as Savior, we just can say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. And we pray, Father, that we will have the stamina to continue to share the word with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.